Most of the time, my sermons don't really have like proper titles because we're not printing bulletins and stuff right now. But the sermon title this morning is Greater Things. Greater Things. Can, can you repeat that with me? Greater Things. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Greater Things. How you can experience greater things and be a part of greater things in your life today. And as I began preparing the sermon this week and was thinking about greater things, uh, I realized it was kind of timely because I came across this study from the Gallup polling organization, and it it seems like that's really what people are wanting right now, greater things, because if you look here, this is a, a, a poll of Americans' average satisfaction with a variety of areas of life, and uh, it's at a two-decade low. So you can see in 2002, it was kind of the peak, and it's fluctuated since then, but, but they track this every year, year after year, and this past Thursday, they released their findings that Americans are not satisfied with their lives right now. And I know that they spend a lot of time and a lot of money on this study, uh, but we probably could have guessed that this was the case if we just talked with one another and other people, because, because you and I know that right now, people are seeking greater things. They're seeking greater satisfaction. People want a greater sense of community, a greater sense of unity in our country, a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of purpose, a greater sense of joy. People want to do greater things than we're doing right now. I mean, this is just a longing I think a lot of us are feeling right now. And as a pastor, it's interesting in conversations with people, I hear this, it's like, well, you know, once, once we're kind of past the coronavirus, then things are just going to suddenly get better. Like whenever that is or whatever that even means. But once, once we're kind of past the pandemic, then satisfaction is going to go up. Then we're going to be doing greater things. Then everything is going to be better. And I hope that's the case. But I don't think we have to wait until whenever that nebulous day comes to experience greater things inside of us and to do greater things even now. I believe through Jesus Christ we can experience greater things today. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And as we talk about it together, this phrase, greater things, it comes from John chapter 1, which we looked at last week. Some of you have been reading along with us, so I want to encourage you, kind of try to keep up with this if you can. But last Sunday morning, we, we talked about this story where Jesus calls the first disciples. He gives them this simple invitation, come and see. And so he invites the disciples to come and follow him. And there's this skeptical guy named Nathaniel. He doesn't really know about, about Jesus. But he comes, he sees Jesus, and he meets Jesus. And when he meets Jesus, he realizes Jesus already knew who he was. Because Jesus had seen him sitting under a fig tree earlier. And, and when Nathaniel realizes this, he is astounded. And he believes in Jesus. He makes a profession of faith right there. And, and what's interesting, John chapter 1, verse 50, Jesus says this to Nathaniel. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. Jesus tells Nathaniel, you will see greater things. And this morning, if you don't remember anything else from the sermon, you can remember this. Jesus is one who keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He is faithful to his word And actually, the very next day, we see him keeping this promise to Nathaniel. He tells Nathaniel, you're going to see greater things. And then the very next day, they travel, interestingly enough, to Nathaniel's hometown of Cana in Galilee 
And there, Jesus does something great. And this is the story we're going to look at this morning from John chapter 2. A story that some of you might be familiar with. uh, A story of uh, of something amazing that Jesus does. It begins in John chapter 2 verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can... You can follow along with us or use the Bible app. And John, he, he writes this. He says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And so, so Jesus, with his new disciples, he, he travels a decent ways to this wedding. They're all there Jesus' mother is there. She's kind of helping with the arrangements at the wedding. And, and one of the things when you're reading through John and really the Bible at all, you need to realize is that sometimes their culture is similar to ours. Sometimes their culture is different than ours. A lot of times it's, it's different. It's 2,000 years ago. And so when it comes to a wedding, when it says they went to a wedding, this wasn't like a 30-minute to three-hour affair like we kind of see with weddings today. Weddings in their culture would have lasted like seven days. They would have been huge blowout parties where most people in the community were invited to. So this wasn't just a a short gathering. I mean, there would have been food, there would have been drinks. I mean, it would have been a huge party. So that's a little different. But just like today, if if you were the host of a wedding, I know know some of y'all have hosted weddings recently. Like if you're the host and you run out of food or, or drinks or stuff at the wedding, I mean, that's embarrassing, right? It's like, okay, how many people didn't RSVP or did they RSVP? And you got to figure all that out. It's embarrassing, but in their culture, it wouldn't have been just embarrassing. It would have been shameful. It would have brought great shame upon this family if they were to run out of things. And that's exactly what we see happens here. Jesus and his disciples show up at this wedding. We don't know if they were really invited or not, but they show up and the wine at the wedding runs out. And so verse three, we find when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Now, when I'm reading through this story, this verse, verse 4, always kind of catches me because I always think, what if I said that to my mom, right? Woman, what does that have to do with me? I don't recommend, don't, don't do this, okay? We want you to be like Jesus. Don't use this phrase with your mother or family members. And this is another cultural moment where we, we kind of hear Jesus here, woman, what does that have to do with me? We kind of hear it as derogatory. In their culture, that wouldn't have been derogatory, Jesus saying that to his mother. But, but it would have been a little different than what was expected because here he's not saying mom, he's not saying mother. He's using a, a different term that actually puts a little distance between the two of them. It's, it's like saying, you know, Mrs. or Miss or Lady. Uh, it's a little more formal. It's putting her at a little arm's length. And he does this because he knows that if he does something great here, it is going to begin his trajectory towards the cross, his hour of suffering and death. And we don't know, kind of, you know, did Mary know, like, everything Jesus could do? I mean, did he, when he was growing up, was he doing, like, kind of miraculous things? We don't know, but we know here Mary requests his help. Jesus kind of pushes back on her a little bit. But then Mary, if you notice her response, she just says to the servant, she says, look, do whatever he tells you. It's like she's expecting that Jesus is going 
to act. And after a period of time, we don't know exactly what changed in Jesus' mind. Maybe he felt the Spirit leading him to go ahead and let's do this now. We see Jesus does listen to his mother. And he does become a part of the solution to the problem. So picking up in verse 6, we find this. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. These would have been huge. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they, they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you, you have kept the good wine until now. You see, in their culture, wine was very strong. And so it was always cut with water. And so at the beginning of, of the wedding, it would be you know, stronger, higher quality, less water in it. But then as the, as the party went on, they wanted to extend it, save a little money. They'd add more and more water to it. I don't know if any of y'all can relate to this. My dad, when I was growing up and we were low on milk, he would add water to the milk. That was wrong, right? That was wrong. I mean, he would add a little water to the milk, help it go a little further. So that's what they were used to people doing, kind of just being a little cheap here at the end of the celebration. It's the seventh day, you know, come on, of the wedding. But, but here, the master of ceremonies, he realizes, look, they're doing the exact opposite of, of what's normal. Like, they've saved the best wine until the end. And so, so the party goes on, the celebration goes on, people are enjoying themselves, And really, if you notice, it's only Jesus, the disciples, Mary, and the servants who even know that a miracle has occurred. They're really the only ones here who've realized what's going on. And of course, John, who was one of the the disciples, he's there, and he knew what was happening. And so years later, as he's recording Jesus' life for the next generation to know about, And he's thinking back on every event, every great thing that Jesus did, every great thing that Jesus said. John thinks back to this event and he says, you know what? I need to include this in my gospel because this is significant. This is significant. And then verse 11, he he kind of summarizes the story he's, he's left for us. He says, this was the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And his disciples believed in him. He says this was the first of the signs. And one of the things we're going to see in John's gospel is that there are seven signs that he gives us that kind of help guide his story that he's, he's telling us about Jesus. And so as we come across this first great thing that Jesus does in the gospel, I mean, can't you just imagine the disciples who really recently met Jesus, can't you just imagine them? And, and they're shock and awe and amazement as Jesus does this great thing. I mean, they're, they're thinking, okay, this guy is not only like the Christ, the Messiah, he's also all-powerful. He can turn water into wine. He has the power to do crazy things. And you can imagine Nathaniel. Nathaniel, 
who was astounded that Jesus knew him and noticed him under the fig tree. Nathaniel, you can see him whispering to his friends like, remember when Jesus said he was gonna do great things? Remember when he, when he said that? Like, this is it. Like, he's doing great things now. And the disciples, after seeing this, John tells us they believed. They believed and they probably thought that when Jesus said, you'll see great things, they probably thought like this is what he was talking about. But as the disciples continued journeying with Jesus, they discovered that Jesus was gonna do even greater things than turn water into wine. They, they realized that, the, that Jesus was gonna do even greater things, more powerful things. And really the greatest thing he did was die and then rise again from the dead. They saw that Jesus was doing even greater things. And so when John is looking back on this story and the significance of it, he, he doesn't just say, you know what, this was a miracle. This was a, a supernatural event. Instead, when he's looking back on this, he said, this is a sign. This was a sign. And we talked about this in December, but signs are things that point beyond themselves. They point to something significant not just to themselves, right? An exit sign points, not, not, it's not about itself, it points to the exit. And, and these signs that we find in the Gospels point to something significant. They point to something that had significance not just for the disciples, not just for the people at that wedding, but also for people who were living 2,000 years later today like us, who were continuing to learn and follow this man named Jesus. And so what John is doing here is, yes, he's telling us this story about water becoming wine and about how powerful Jesus is, but he's also trying to convey to us something more. He's telling us, look, this is a sign pointing to something else. There is more to the story. And John does this throughout his entire gospel. He'll tell us something at one level, but then if you, if you kind of dive deeper and take a closer look at the story, you'll discover oftentimes there's a deeper meaning to what John is telling us. Which is why one New Testament scholar, he said that John's gospel is shallow enough for a baby to wade in, deep enough for an elephant to drown in. The gospel of John is, is usually one that, that is given to brand new Christians or people who are wanting to learn more about Jesus. But then it's also a, a gospel that scholars have poured over for, for centuries because there's so much depth to it. And there's often more to the story than meets the eye. And so one way to think about this is to think about the FedEx logo. So let's, let's put the FedEx logo on the screen. Y'all are familiar with this, right? Do you get like a thousand packages a week like my house? So the FedEx logo, do you know what FedEx stands for? Federal Express, okay? So we have this logo. A lot of us are familiar with it. It's purple. It's orange. I saw this, you know, for decades of my life. The truck would pull up. Never thought a lot about this logo until one day somebody said, look again. So I did. And I didn't see anything. I was like, I don't understand. And so then they made it clear for me and they said, oh, you've never noticed this? That there's an arrow that the artist put into the logo? And, and my mind was blown. Maybe you already knew this. My mind was blown when I realized that there was an arrow in that logo because I had looked at this for years. I had never noticed it. But then when I looked closer on second glance, I learned the artist 
had included something that I had so often missed. And that's the way John's gospel is as well. And so here in the story, yes, he's telling us about Jesus' miraculous power. But he's also pointing to something else. And I think one of the things he's pointing to is, is to the nature of the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. And what this kingdom and life in the kingdom with Jesus as our king means for us his disciples today. And so when we look at this story and we kind of take a closer look at it and look again, what we find is that Jesus' kingdom and the life he offers people who have him as king is one of transformation, first of all. I mean, yes, we see him transforming water into wine, but did you also notice, notice the pots? John tells us that these were pots used for ritual purification in Judaism. They would have used them to wash the outsides of their hands before meals and before religious ceremonies. So we see these pots had a purpose. Jesus comes along. He gives these pots a new purpose. He transforms them from these old religious objects into these vessels that lead to joy and fulfillment for this celebration. And we also see he transforms his celebration. It was about to be a source of great shame for this family, but now it's become a source of joy for everyone present as he does this miracle. And the thing for you and me to know today is that Jesus and life in his kingdom continues to be one of transformation. His power wasn't limited to this miracle. His power is for each of us today. He has the power to transform us, not just on the outside, like they used to do with with their ritual washings. He has the power to cleanse us from the inside out and to give us a new purpose and to transform the empty parts of our lives so that we can experience the fullness of life with him. John is telling us Jesus' kingdom is one of transformation. He's also telling us here it's one of abundance. I mean, did you notice they said the servants filled the pots to the brim? They didn't, they didn't do a head count and say, hey, how many people are at this party? How much wine do we need? Jesus didn't say, okay, yeah, let's do a calculation. Everybody has half a glass. Okay, what, you know, they didn't do that. No, they, they filled them to the brim. Jesus made 120-ish gallons of wine. It was greater than what was needed. It was more than Mary could have asked for or even imagined. It, it was an abundance of wine. And this is a sign pointing us to the nature of God's kingdom that his kingdom is one of abundance. Nothing is lacking in his kingdom and nothing is lacking for us. He doesn't just give us a little forgiveness here and a little forgiveness there. And then eventually we sin so much that, that it kind of runs out. His kingdom is one of abundance. There is abundant grace, abundant forgiveness, abundant love, abundant peace. He doesn't want us to just get by. He wants abundance in our life. And that's the nature of his kingdom. It's one of transformation, it's one of abundance, and it's one of joy. You see, wine in the Old Testament was a sign and symbol of of gladness, celebration, and joy. And here, as Jesus performs this miracle, we see him giving joy to this party 
And Jesus wants to give joy to everyone who is a part of his kingdom. He doesn't want life with him to be drudgery. He doesn't want us to just mope around. I was listening to this comedian. It was a Christian comedian recently. And he was saying, you know what's crazy? is like the church is supposed to be the most joy-filled place. Why are so many people in church angry and sour and just on edge all the time? And I, and I was thinking, you know what? That's true. It's true. Jesus' kingdom is meant to be one of joy. Yes, he, he has demands for us. He calls us to obedience to take up our cross but he wants to give us the gift of joy, gladness in him. And it's available through Jesus. And I, I don't know if you noticed this too, this imagery of a wedding. Jesus' first miracle takes place at a wedding. And when we look in the book of Revelation at what it's gonna be like in the end, we have this image too of a wedding where Christ returns to his bride the church, and so we're catching a glimpse of what things are gonna be like one day. Abundance, transformation, joy, and what things can be like now. Jesus has done even greater things than turn water into wine. He has the ability to transform our lives. His kingdom doesn't lack for resources. He has the ability to give us joy right now, no matter our circumstances. You may be wondering, okay, well, how do, we, how do we become a part of that? How do we receive those things? How do we experience those greater things in us? How, how do we do the great things that God has for us? Well, I, I think it comes through two things, belief and being obedient. Believing and being obedient. Because what we see after this story is that the disciples believed, right? They believed in him. And as they believed in him, they went on to do great things. And belief is a theme throughout the gospel of John. He's going to mention belief over and over again. And there's some, there some passages I just want to highlight for you, beloved ones, like John chapter 3, verse 16, where we read this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And when John speaks of eternal life, he's not just talking about something far off that begins in the future. He's also talking about something that can begin right now when we believe in Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is a verse that's kind of astounding, but... Jesus is a promise keeper, and this is what he says. He says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Those who believe in me will do even greater things, Jesus says, than he did. And the disciples went on to do great things. They went on to experience abundant life. They went on to experience eternal life as most of them were martyred for their faith and they gave up their very lives for this man named Jesus because they believed in him, they trusted in him so much. And in our lives, to receive the greater things that God desires for us, it begins with belief. But it continues as we're obedient to him. Believing 
and being obedient. I don't know if you noticed this, what, what Mary said to the servants. Do you remember what she said to the servants? Do whatever he tells you. And if you want, I don't think they sell this one at Hobby Lobby, but if you want a scripture verse to put over your house or to put on a t-shirt or to put on your heart or to highlight in your Bible, I, I think this is a great verse. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. Because we don't, we don't know in the story exactly when the miracle took place, right? It's not clear. I mean, Jesus didn't snap his fingers and then the water transitioned into wine. He said to the servants, hey, go and, and fill up these jars. And as they filled them up, some point along the way, the miracle happened. And so as I read the story, sometimes I wonder what would have happened if the servants said no? Would the miracle have taken place? And I think about it in our own lives as well. When we don't do what Jesus tells us to do, what the Spirit's leading us to do, how often do we miss the miracles that God wants us to be a part of, the greater things that he has in store for us? But I think that if we're willing to be obedient to Jesus, to do whatever he tells us to do through his word and through his spirit, then I think we will actually begin to do the greater things that he talks about as we believe and are obedient. And this is, this is connected to a, a, a guy I've become connected with over the last year or so named, named Terrence Lester. A guy who's doing what I would call great things in, in the city of Atlanta. Terrence and his wife, um, I think we have a picture here. They were living in the city in 2004, poor college students. They were eating ramen noodles one day and had barely any gas in their car. And they were kind of starting to complain about their lives and just thinking, you know, like, Life is just kind of eh right now. We're poor college students. We're eating this stuff. We don't have a lot. We're just trying to get by. But they lived in an area where, where there were a lot of people experiencing homelessness. And so they began to think, but you know what? A lot of people are struggling a lot more than we are. So they began to kind of change the frame and what they were thinking in their minds. And they said, you know what? Why don't, why don't we go and actually like Love our neighbors. Do what Jesus tells us to do. They're both believers. Why don't we just like do what Jesus tells us to do? And so they got in their cars. They, 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 they searched their house first. They loaded up different clothes. And his wife had an old pair of Reebok shoes. She threw those in the car. So they began driving into the city. And as they were driving into the city, a woman who was barefoot ran up to the car and said, excuse me, do you have any shoes? And they said, well, actually, we do. And she said, thank God, I was praying for a pair of shoes last night. So they got out the Reeboks, they gave them to her, and sure enough, they were the woman's exact size. And they said, as a family, at that moment, things began to change in their lives. They realized that God had greater things in store for them. God wanted to do great things through them. God had a greater purpose for them. And so that began a, a journey for them as a family where they said, look, we wanna, we wanna continue to serve and love our neighbors who are in need. So they started a nonprofit called Love Beyond Walls. 
and, and I learned about them at the beginning of the pandemic because if we go to the next slide you'll see they, they, they started making sinks portable sinks for the homeless in the city because when everything shut down all of a sudden the bathrooms closed so where people were washing their hands all of us you know getting hand sanitizer and, and hunkering down all these people living on the streets had nowhere to even wash their hands so they they started dreaming about taking sinks from old rvs and re retrofitting them and putting them all around the city and then as they did that the the vision began to spread around the globe they began making showers out of old containers for people who are experiencing homelessness. They, they began doing all of these things that were greater than they ever could have imagined in 2004 when they were a couple of poor college students who, who simply thought, you know what, let's, let's be obedient and just do what Jesus tells us to do, love our neighbors. And, and I, I believe they're going to continue to do great things through their ministry. But I wonder what would have happened if, if they hadn't have gone out that day and followed what maybe they called it the spirit maybe maybe it was just something they said we should go do what if they hadn't have done it that day would their nonprofit have even started would these would these great things even be happening if they hadn't believe, believed and been obedient and so that's my challenge to you this week is is to do what they did do what the scriptures are calling us to believe in Jesus that that he is all powerful he has the power to turn water into wine he has the power to transform your life he has a kingdom of abundance a kingdom of joy believe in him that he lived he died and he rose again and he can do great things in your life and then be obedient to whatever he's calling you to do we find some, some clear callings in, in Scripture, like loving our neighbors, but, but I believe the Holy Spirit also speaks to us, oftentimes in the stillness of our own hearts. So I want to encourage you this week to be obedient. And don't feel like you have to go sell everything or go start a nonprofit or do something crazy or big or radical. Maybe it's just being obedient and picking up the phone and calling somebody He's placed on your heart. Maybe it's just reaching out to a neighbor. Maybe it's just offering forgiveness to someone that, that you've been withholding that from. Be obedient and believe. For when we do those things, then we will be able to experience the greater things God has for us inside of us and we'll begin to do the great things that God wants to do through us. So let's pray and ask God to make it so. God, we thank you that you are the God of miracles that you are the God who hasn't left us alone in this world, but you have, you have come in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your kingdom that you are establishing that has no end, that you invite us to be a part of now. And God, we know there, there are a lot of broken places in our lives. There, there is a lot of emptiness. Just as, as this wedding ran out of wine, a lot of us feel like we've run out of a lot of stuff in life these days. We feel like we've run out of joy. We've run out of peace. We're just running on empty. But God, we believe you are able to fill us up. You are able to transform us. And so we ask that you would give us joy, that you would give us grace, that you would give us ultimately your presence and your power. And we ask that you would give us the courage 
to do whatever you're calling us to do. So God, speak to us as we read the Gospel of John together. Holy Spirit, speak to us even now as we've gathered together as your people. Help us be your hands and your feet so that we can experience the greater things you have for us. We ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand.